Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Director of Performance at the Philadelphia 76ers, Lorena Torres. tuned in to episode 318 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So this episode has been a long time coming and I know I say it every time when I speak about guests but a lot of stalking went on and we finally ended up lining this podcast up just as Lorena got back to the US from her holiday in Spain. So we chatted around been a woman working in a male sport, and I know that's been covered in a previous episode with uh, Sophia Nymphius and Brian Geraghty, but we get a little bit of a, an insight into that. Then we have a little chat around high-intensity interval training, conditioning specifically for basketball, designing drills and maximizing the physical and also the technical outcomes that are needed by other members of the organization. Then we chat around sports technology, which is something that Lorena is Uh, very very passionate about and it's great to get her insights here then we finish off with strength and power training for team sports and in particular basketball Lorena's philosophy how she goes around managing that in season out of season session design periodization etc etc so a really interesting episode coming up with Lorena and I really really appreciate her coming on because I know it's a difficult time with everything that's going on uh, in the world with the with with COVID, but also a new coach, etc., etc. So, really appreciate her coming on, and it'll definitely, definitely be worth the wait. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hawking Dynamics, the world's first wireless force plate testing system. So, the Hawking Dynamics system is built around what coaches want, so they can test in the real world and not just in the lab. So you're able to capture reliable data on all athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor progress from their cloud-based system from anywhere in the world. So as I've mentioned, the Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, which means they're portable, and they're also trusted by teams at a number of different levels in a number of different sports. So integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring system uh, could not be easier and more affordable. So if you want to get to know a little bit more about Hawking Dynamics or actually see their plates in action, head over to the website, uh, which is hawkingdynamics.com, um, which you can, I mean, you can also schedule a demo and follow them on Twitter at Hawking Dynamics. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by I Measure You. So used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field, IMU Step from I Measure You is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. So I Measure You have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident which includes ultra high G capabilities to quantify high impact steps such as cutting, landing and sprinting, longer battery life to collect data all day, real-time feedback to aid immediate interventions and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. I Measure You, now part of Vicon, works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, US Department of Defense and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about I Measure You, head over to their website, imeasureyou.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at I Measure You.
So without further ado, over to the episode with Lorena Torres. Thanks for tuning in to the Pace Performance Podcast. So today I'm speaking to Lorena Torres. So welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Rob. Thank you for having me here. Thank you very much for coming on. So we spoke a little while ago with uh, with Sophia and Brian. Mm-hmm. So thank you for coming back on. So we're going to stay away from that topic a little bit, but we'll touch on it right at the start. But anyone that doesn't, doesn't know who you are, do you just want to give us a bit of a background on yourself, education-wise, and uh, what you're doing at the 76ers? Okay, yes. Uh, so I'm the performance director of the 76ers now. I've been here with the team for a year. Uh, my former team was the San Antonio Spurs, another NBA team. I was with them for four years, and previous to that, I was from uh, I was in Spain. I'm from Spain, as you can see by the accent. Um, my background is I was a I am a strength coach, a sports scientist. I've worked with different athletes, different sports, golf, tennis, um, with the national swimming team. Um, but always, I've always been um, linked um, to the academia. So I was working partial time as a teacher, uh, doing. I, I always try to do in, uh, research, stay connected with people, do research. So I like to define myself as in between the research academia field and the applied field, uh, working with athletes. Um, and that's my journey. Quick sum up, and now I'm with basketball. Perfect. One thing I do want to touch on that we spoke about with Brian and Sophia was that transition from Spain to the US and the circumstances that occurred around that uh, mm-hmm. around that change. Do you just want to give us a bit of a uh, an insight into that because people may not have, have listened to the episode. And I think it's really pertinent, especially for up and coming, especially female SNCs, um, to hear that hear that story, then we can have a little chat around that. Yeah, for sure. I think in my personal case, it was a combination of things. Um, being a professional in lead of pro sports in Spain is difficult just because of the context of the country. So added to that is the fact that I'm a woman and the equality of opportunities, I think, in my opinion, is not the same. So seven years ago, six years ago, uh, I had to decide what am I going to do? I'm going to still work and I have to have three jobs to be able to pay the bills or do I want to give a chance to be in a professional environment? So I decide the context and the circumstances uh, allow me to come to the States. and that, yeah, that was a transition. The reasons why, as I say, the combination of professional opportunities in my country and the fact that I was working for a professional team there. And as I say in the podcast, um, when they told me, well, it's going to be a challenge for you to be with senior teams, first teams, professional teams, because the fact that you are a woman and um, how the adults are going to see that and how are you going to... Um, be integrated in that environment for example you on a locker room or you you know so it was very very challenging and i decided i want to try anyway so i'm going to try somewhere else mm-hmm. so what, what was it about the spurs that made that a completely different scenario obviously welcoming a woman snc coach sports scientist into the organization was there anything stru- structurally different within the organization like more women at the in top, you know, top jobs. What what was the difference? 
I think it's a matter of the culture of the organization. I don't think it's the sport. I'm not sure if the NBA is uh, as open and integrative uh, and giving equal opportunities uh, everywhere. Um, but I've been lucky to work in two organizations here in the NBA that uh, are very open-minded and they embrace the fact that equality and not only the gender, but the uh, social status or, uh, so they are very, very open-minded. So for me, the transition there as a woman was easy because I wasn't being seen as a woman in the organization. So yeah, the, the quality of opportunities in the two organizations that I've been, or I am uh, in the States have been smooth and easy and facilitating all, uh, all the, um, the steps. Mm -hmm. Is there is there any high profile females at the at the uh, women at the seventy sixes like in the back in the like general manager or anything like that? Yes. Or just from my my naivety when it comes to this kind of thing. No, no, no. I, it's totally uh, yeah. fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. I yes. Especially this organization is very progressive. I don't know exactly the numbers, but um, I think we are at the forefront. Uh, front front of uh, having females in leadership position and managing manager positions. So yes, now um, these organizations are very progressive and not, it's not only progressive, it's supporting. So making sure that we are seeing and listened and um, we are recognized uh, as a woman and leaders and in management positions. Yeah. Do you think it's it's clearly a different situation from Spain to the US and your experience has obviously been really good in the US, but do you think that experience for women in strength and condition is improving across the board? Well, I don't know all the leagues now in, in Europe. I don't follow them that closely, but I, I think I would ask these questions to the people that maybe is listening and they are working in Premier League or Spanish leagues or, you know, German leagues. Um, I would say, do you see women around you? Do you do you have female strength coaches working with you? Sports scientists, females working with you? Do you have a woman that is your boss or is your supervisor? So I'm not completely sure about this the current situation. What I can say is I don't see in the news or the social media, or I don't see I don't see that, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. So I invite the people that is listening to think about, okay, in my context, in my team, in my organization, if we're 100 people, which is the percentage of women? And is that, why is that? Mm -hmm. I like it, I like it. Put it back on the people that are listening. Yeah. Good. One thing that, hasn't come up surprisingly a lot in previous podcasts is high intensity interval training conditioning however you want to want to term it and that's something that i'd like to dive into with you if possible um, and one logical place to start maybe your philosophy around high intensity interval training for the athletes that you work with or maybe a bit more globally would you be able to go into that for us and we can use that as a bit of a jumping off point to uh, dive a little bit deeper yeah, sure. Um, we we were lucky to uh, collaborate in Martin's and Paul's book in the high intensity like the heat book, um, and I think we present their uh, pretty clear framework about our philosophy and paradigm of how 
I see uh, conditioning training, especially in basketball. Uh, since then, I've been thinking a lot. Uh, and the more experience you have, the more you question your methods and how get or that happens to me, how to get better. And I think the conditional training or the strength training starts with a deep analysis of the sport. And which is more interesting for me now is the constant uh, analysis of the sport. So the way I would train conditioning five or 10 years ago or three years ago is different now because I have more information. I've run more studies. I've been able to analyze the new resources of information. So I think the key point is constantly explore what is happening in your sport and how it's changing and how the rules are changing your sport and go from there. So I, I'm a foodie. I like food. I like to go to restaurants. And one of the things that um, I like is to extrapolate um, something with the food. So when there, uh, now some chefs, what they do is they have a, a dish that is a traditional dish. They deconstruct the dish and they put it together again in a different, more innovative and fashion and creative way. So I like to do that with the sport now. What the sport that I'm currently working on looks like, how can I deconstruct it to work different pieces of it to make them better and then put everything together to deliver a better product. So for example, that's when I, that's why I think um, time series analysis, like the worst case scenario, rolling average, peak demands, um, analyzing the, the game by the whole game, half, quarter, five minutes, three minutes rolling average is becoming more and more popular in uh, team sports because now we understand the average distance or the total distance run in a quarter or a game is not giving us information. Two, one, know, knowing what is happening with the athletes and how are we going to help the athletes and players to prepare better. So that's the framework, the long explanation. What, how do you translate that to practice? So I think um, you really have to uh, work on what's the way I see my sport is what's the minimum that the athletes have to have, which is completely different than other big field team sports. We are in a smaller uh, field, uh, so we don't have to uh, reach max speed at all, as other uh, team sports, and we don't run kilometers, like 12 kilometers other sports. So for me, it's what's the minimum uh, aerobic uh, capacity that you have to have to be able to perform in a game at your maximum um, performance? And through the season so what's the minimum and then how are we gonna work in the more anaerobic neuromuscular demands so high intensity interval training seeing as a progression of now we're gonna run 20 minutes when you are okay in 20 minutes we're gonna go to 10 minutes and then you're gonna go to the five minutes three minutes inter inter um working in between with uh short uh interval training or high speed training that doesn't clearly work for us i think unless you have an injured player and he can be on the court so for me it's more what's the minimum let's let's warranty that you can 
play a basketball game, which is pretty like easy at this mm -hmm. level. And then let's make sure that you're going to be prepared for the worst case scenario, scenario peak demands, anaerobic um, demands. Uh, so to do that, I think a good way is doing it on court. Uh, and again, unless you have an injured player that has to do a return to play and return to performance, to me, the best way to be in shape in basketball is playing basketball. And how you manipulate the drills, the time, the people, the space is the beauty of the training and the art of the training with the information and the evidence-based information to support those decisions. Super long answer. Great answer. <laughs> Love it. Great answer. So when it comes to that analysis of the sport, there's the sport, but there's also different teams in the sport and different ways people play and how they are wanting to do things tactically and well, tactically over uh, rather than technically. How do you go about analyzing, yes, the sport, but then the actual group that you're working with? Is there a lot of waiting and seeing and just trying to understand and doing your own like internal research or is it still very much like peer-reviewed what's out there in terms of basketball as a whole great question great point and that's what i was saying you need a minimum so the athletes can perform from the coach and the coach plays the way he wants um so i I obviously read and like to see what the it's out there and what my colleagues are doing research-wise, but I, I like to spend a lot of time doing internal research because not only every team plays different or have a style, as you said, but in each team you have different player profiles, different playing styles. So to me, what is important is what physical demands means for that player. So you have a player that his playing style is just running the core, go through the rim, like super aggressive, super explosive, but then he's gonna walk, rest, he managed that work to rest ratio in a way. When you have other guys that they jog, but they have a lot of contact on the post. And so maybe you still need the conditioning, and just, but it's to your point is yes, you always have to keep in mind what's the playing style of your coach and the philosophy, tactically the philosophy, and what's the playing style of your player to help them to prepare to that. Because it's not fair. What I, what I found is when you go and a coach asks you, uh, did this player work hard this practice or this game? And you only have axles, D-cells, high-intensity distance, which is most of the metrics reported in the literature, it's super hard to say, no, he didn't, when everybody in the room knows he was fighting in the post heavily. So I think we have to have this critical thinking process and find ways to analyze what physical means for different playing styles. And that's what I'm enjoying a lot uh, the last couple of years. So when a coach does ask something like that, how are you able to... From, from the data that you collect, and we'll come on to that a little bit later on in terms of the sports tech, but what data are you, are you able to collect that gives him the answer that he wants, which is basically a yes or a no, and then maybe a, a scale or a percentage or something like that? How, how can you answer that for him? Well, it's challenging because then we come to technology. And we're very, even if technology is like, you know, 
that I love technology and talk about <laughs> technology and technology implementation. But at the same time, I think we're still far from what we need. So it's it's a challenge because at least in my sport, we have one type of technology when we practice and a completely different technology when we play. And it's completely different. It's not similar. Just, just because it's position, like indoor, indoor systems, like local position, position systems, you still have a spatial data, but the the angles, how far the anchors or the antennas, antennas or the cameras are is completely different. So the algorithms, the filtering, like, it's completely different. You can have two miles run for more or less the same type of activity in a practice and for for a game when you translate that. So it's, it's a challenge. So while what I think is very, very important in my sport uh, is game data because we play so much. We play almost every other day. So what I do is I use the information that I can get from the game data, which is optical tracking systems, 2D. And... It's challenging because with that you don't have contact, you don't have collusions, you don't have isometric information, you don't have energy expenditure. So you only have a 2D uh, data. So if a coach, to your point, if a coach asks how fiscally demanding or how hard we work last night, um, it's challenging today. So what I'm trying to do is what you just said, like the internal research, how we can find ways to merge physical information with basketball information to try to answer those questions. Because I do not have a number for um, collusions or impacts or fighting or contact, but we do have in a certain way, like when they're playing the post-up or when they are in the rim or when they are close to a player or not. So I think what is going to be next, at least in my sport, and I think in team sports, is merging tactical and physical information to be able to answer better those questions. Now, I'm trying, but I'm completely aware it has to be better. Just going back to the conditioning stuff and you mentioned about doing the conditioning by playing basketball. Mm -hmm. So how are you communicating with the coach to make sure that technical and tactical outcomes are met, but also the physical outcomes are also met, which I guess is the, the holy grail of any strength and conditioning coach working with closely with a technical coach. So how do you go about that? Yeah. Um, I don't know in other team sports. I think in other team sports, they have more room to to manipulate the training drills and practice, uh, managing constraints such as space, number of players, rules. Now you have uh, more opponents. But based on what I've read from soccer, I'm from Spain, so I try to read uh, what my colleagues there are doing. In our case, what in my experience in this sport in this country, um, I think the way we can support better coaches is giving them parameters, um, cues about how to make sure that the conditioning it's, uh, that we are looking for is reached, uh, giving them more the freedom or, or of choos choosing the basketball context. With that, I mean, if we have players that doesn't play at all, or if you have players that doesn't play at all or play less, because they are younger or they are not in the rotation. I think the key is warranty that those players have enough exposure to be ready if they have to play. 
So when you prepare those type of sessions, I think you have to know again, which are the game demands for a profile similar to them and how you prepare the drills to do that. And I really believe that in my sport, five on five, pickup games, three on three, you can reach those needs. Uh, actually, you can go super maximal because if you have a player that it's going to be in the rotation five or 10 minutes, which is this for him, like uh, uh, um, this level for him, for the people that is uh, not seeing the video, is like a minimum. Um, how we do prepare him to make sure that if he has to jump for 20 or 40 minutes in a game, he's going to be able to perform. So to do that, you, you, you communicate to coaches, hey, I need this from a time intensity, word to rest ratio perspective. Now, if you have to put that player in situations where has to do more defense or offense or threes, that's on you. So for me, the way I think I can help better coaches is this is what I think is going to work from a physical perspective, volume, intensity, density, um, and then talk to the coaches which are the skills that you want to uh, promote in this session. For example, offense usually is more lineal, even basketball is not a lineal sport, while defense is more lateral or horizontal change of direction, more neuromuscular demanding. So how we can help to put the players in those situations to guarantee that you're going to get what you want from basketball and I'm going to get what I need from a cardiovascular, neuromuscular perspective. I don't want to make you say things that we're talking about the team. However, do you have, or in the past, have you had like groups? So you've got the guys that are very much on the periphery, but we need to make sure they're the worst case scenario, they need to step up. Then you've got that kind of middle group that are maybe going to come in, maybe going to come out. And then you've got the, like you say, the rotation. How do you then work with each of them groups? It may be three or four different groups to make sure they're ready to step up to the next group should they need should they need to you know make that happen yeah in i think in the chapter we present this we we have a cut cut of time uh in basketball just based on the studies that we have done um and seems that if you play between 15 and 20 minutes uh like regularly, you're you're still maintaining those the, that minimum threshold that I was talking. Okay. If you play 20, 25 plus 30 minutes, the whole programmation is about managing recovery. Um, the tricky ones and the fun ones are when you play <laughs> then less than those 15, 10 minutes. So yeah, to your point, I think you could you could split the group in three groups. One is going to be more focused on recovery. The other one is going to be maintenance and recovery. And the other one is going to be um, how to make sure that we, that we provide that environment to, the, to make sure that the worst case is scenario. So, yeah, having that, having that clusters of group of type of minutes, it's important. Then you have the individuals. So you can have... Uh, vet like a 30 plus year old guy playing 10 it's he, probably that player doesn't need exactly the same type of drill that a 20 year old player playing five minutes or less so I think what you have to do to your point to your question is have a set of rules 
to be able to make those decisions. So playing time is going to be one. Uh, player style is going to be another one. Age, player needs. And then with those set of rules, how you manipulate uh, yep. the conditioning training. Yep. Okay. I like that. Moving on to sports tech, something that you've already mentioned is a passion of yours. Where did that Where did that interest come from, Lorena? I know there's obviously loads of great work coming out of, of Spain and has done for a long time. Was that the where that was born out of? Yes, and yeah. I'm glad you asked this question because I think so. I think we have amazing professionals in Spain, super good. Our weakness is the the language. If we would could speak English, well, we'd be everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think to your question, I think my passion started uh, when I was in college. Um, I had great mentors. I think we have in Spain amazing professionals. Um, they have stayed in the country, but they encourage us to use tech. So I think my mentors encourage us or my generation to use, to have objective information and monitoring training. Because if you have information, you can have a process of is being critical with yourself. It's what I'm doing working or the way I think it's working. So when I was 20 years old, they were showing us um, linear encoders. Now that uh, like linear encoders, how to do track with a radar, things that now are in the in the research, like coming up as well. I have done this 20 years ago. <laughs> the problem is that we didn't publish in Spain. Um, so to your question, my pa passion started in Spain when I was studying, having great mentors that promote object. Uh, objectivity, monitoring, collecting data, analyzing data, critical thinking, um, critical, um, be critical with yourself and your methods. So it just started in Spain. And from there, I guess it's a combination of that I like it. Uh, and I've always been very, very interested in technology. I did, my PhD was about monitoring uh, training and velocity-based training because we had the technology. And I, I was super lucky to have as a supervisor Juan Jose Gonzalez Badillo, one of the main brains for velocity-based training. Um, so again, I think it was key to have great mentors um, and people that encourage you to, to put yourself in those environments. Um, and from there, I've been always passionate about monitoring and collecting data and technology. And now I'm in a stage of my life and career where before I was, oh my God, I have this encoder, I have to use it. And now I'm like, if it doesn't, why? Like I'm way more critical with technology now. Nice. So challenges, I'd like to discuss challenges. I think oh, this is always an interesting topic and just challenges for integrating technology and the processes that go from actually the challenge of buying the thing or making the decision to buy the bit of technology to actually the challenges to implement it and get good information from it and actually use it to make decisions. So it'd be good to get your ideas around the, the challenges kind of globally of sports tech and then we can maybe go into basketball specifically? Yeah. Um, so there is so, uh, it's, it's a paradox because there's so much technology right now. And at the same time, I think there is so little that really is giving us useful and, and practical information that um, we are using to change like 
decisions. Um, so the first thing is I prefer less, but use the information that comes from that technology. And I'm in an environment now, it wasn't like that in Spain, where we have resources. So people sometimes think that having more technology makes you more innovative and progressive. And I have to spend a lot of time educating people around me. And my philosophy, my vision is, if innovation is a process of do, do things better, it's not going to be always about technology. In the past, in the history of humanity, technology meant, like innovation meant we have tools that makes our lives easier. So instead of eating with your hands, we're going to create a tool that is going to help us to eat, right? But now it's not everything about technology. Technology is part of the innovation process. But system, procedures, exactly what you're saying. How are we going to uh, sell this product and get the buying from the athletes um, to be able to implement the technology and use the information? That's the first thought process. The second one is I think... 10 years ago, the scenario was completely different than now. And now what I'm seeing is athletes and players are more used to technology. We're explaining better why we are using tracking systems and monitoring systems. Um, there's still people that is reticent to use it. But I think my impression is that it's more extended and accepted, at least in my sport. Uh, so the buying, if you do it slow and optional at the beginning and you explain the results, um, you get more and more buying from the athletes. Um, I've seen in my experience athletes that were a completely no, and then they start with the buying with one or two technology, which is a win. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy because I think it's just a matter of time and a good use of the technology to get the buying. And it's super, super important that the people that is working with you, uh, for you and you're working for, support the system. I think the impl technology implementation is an organizational, um, um, it's the, the whole organization that has to support its implementation. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Lorena. Hope you're enjoying part one. So over in part two, more on sports tech, more on the challenges uh, of managing this data, delivering the data to coaches, her philosophy around that, but also finishing off with uh, strength and power training in team sports. Again, philosophically, and also how she manages it in and out of season, session design, reverse engineering the sport, et cetera, et cetera. So a really interesting part two coming up with Lorena. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Output Sport, a Swiss army knife for optimizing off-field performance. So Output Sports have developed a one-stop portable tool for comprehensive, valid, and reliable athlete assessment. So for the first time ever, you can access metrics such as jump height, barbell velocity, Nordics, and speed agility, all with the single wearable sensor. So Output brings unparalleled efficiency to athlete testing to allow sports organizations, performance centers, teams, and athletes to make data-driven decisions. So this technology has originated from eight years of research and co-developed with over 40 sporting partners across the globe. You can learn more about Output on OutputSports.com or follow them on social media at OutputSports where you can also schedule a demo. 
This episode of the Pacer Performance Podcast is sponsored by AthleteMonitoring.com, the world's most comprehensive, versatile, and cost-effective athlete health and performance management platform for elite sports. So AthleteMonitoring.com is trusted by top development programs, universities, professional teams, Olympic programs, national sports organizations, and research institutes worldwide. A streamlined data collection centralizes the management of wellness, training and performance, medical and testing, and administrative data. It also simplifies the interpretation with best practice analytics and evidence-based methods to optimize performance and reduce injury risk. So with all these features on a single platform, AthleteMonitoring.com seamlessly brings key stakeholders together to build healthier athletes, more efficient organizations, and long-lasting successes. To see what AthleteMonitoring.com can do for you, visit AthleteMonitoring.com and schedule a free demo, or follow them on Twitter at AthleteMonitor. This episode is also sponsored by Omega Wave, which is the only non-invasive, at-rest technology on the market that analyzes readiness to train via both brain and cardiac analysis. So using DC potential and HRV to understand your brain's energy level and autonomic nervous system balance allows you to use objective data on recovery and readiness that in turn helps you to truly individualize your training and thus optimize performance. OmegaWave also measures ECG from the V6 position and this data can be used by the medical profession to check cardiac health on a frequent basis. The measurement only takes four minutes to perform and results are visualized in an intuitive way thanks to our windows of trainability concept. OmegaWave is used by hundreds of elite sport athletes, military and law enforcement agencies. They are also an official partner of the UFC Performance Institute. So to learn more about OmegaWave, visit their website omegawave.com or visit their social media channels. How do you, so with so much is out there and players and athletes will be exposed to, well, everyone's exposed to it, whether it's on your phone or it's on a different device, whether it's a ring, whether it's a watch, whether it's something in your head, whatever it may be. How do you, like you say, as an organization, and you may have, as other other organizations have a team to looking at technology um, themselves, but how do you go about filtering that down and filtering the noise to actually get to the point of, okay, I think this is what we need and this is the potential range of products that we can, that we've got to choose from. How does that go from big, everywhere, lots of stuff to, okay, this is it? I think the clearer you have the goal, the easier it is. So, for example, now I'm looking for a a kinematics uh, system. Um, so the process that I do, and I've done in the past, and for the Spurs was one of my, my roles there, is what, are, what do we need to, do our, to make our program better? So let's say you choose a topic like sleep, track, uh, sleep tracker. Uh, how do you say that? Sleep tracking system? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, I want to track sleep. Um, how do I do it? Let's go for the technology. So the first thing that I do is time consuming is what is out there, like everything. What is all the devices that are there, watches, bands, um, rings, everything. Let's go for everything. Once I have the ones, like I've seen the market, I try to 
I look for research to see if there are any validation, peer review papers using it, uh, filter to the, the most important ones. Then I include in my decision process uh, opinions from other colleagues using it. So I reach to people, and you know that, I reach people mm-hmm. for no opinion. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I reach to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I try to talk to colleagues, people that I... I completely trust and hey have you heard about this are you using it what's the feedback um and then that comes to okay you have to choose between 100 percent of validity reliability super scientific clinical used and there's no way my players are going to use it and then the decision making is okay what i'm what i i'm prioritizing for this type of technology so that's when I try to make the decision. And for certain technologies, my priority is going to be validation, reliability. And for other type of technologies, I'm more flexible. For example, if I have to pick a force plate and a software, my priority is going to be reliability, uh, validity, like is the best force plates that I can use. If it's a sleep tracking system, I can be more flexible because not because I, I don't care about the um, data, is because I think it's more an educational tool. Shauna Halson always says it has to be more about education. Uh, don't get obsessed if your score readiness is mm, 73 today when it should be 75, because it's not about that. It's are you changing behaviors? Are you improving your sleep patterns, your routines? So I think it depends, as I said at the beginning, what's the primary goal? why you want to implement that. And then it's when you, you can decide, what do I compromise? How do you stop athletes getting influenced by that? They want, like, for, I don't know, X wearable technology, whether it's a watch, whatever it may be, comes up with a score, they see the score, that's not the same, that's a lower score than it was yesterday. Okay, I'm starting to freak out because we've got a game tonight. How do you stop that kind of scenario? I wish NBA basketball players would use the technology that much in that way. I would love to have to talk to them like, oh my gosh, don't use use that. (laughs) But right now it's more like, what do you think about we should use something, right? Okay, okay. Um, uh, I'm not that, I haven't seen that point yet. Some athletes are like, I've seen some of them, very individual, like individuals that they track those type of things and i think our role in that situation is education 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 the same way that nutrition so my role now is more i'm more in a leadership position overseeing um, nutrition recovery sports science so i think we the professionals we have the duty to educate and regardless so if it's not only about technologies these trends and now I want to be vegan and now I don't want to. So it's okay to go with them, but make sh- let's make sure that we explain the pros, cons, and again, the why behind those reasons and how we're going to use the information. So I, to your point, I think is about education, relationships, building trust, and then explain things. Is there any process you go through when it comes to education? maybe upon introducing something for the first time that you're going through the process of why this is important and just getting them a general understanding. Is there any process that you go through with the athletes during that 
during that initial period? If uh, I think it's uh, building relationships, we are in an industry where relationships are key. So if you work close to the player one or the athlete, when I've been working closely to the players, I think it's a matter of relationships and then having conversations. And for example, I love infographics and visuals and my reporting systems, I hope they are simple and easy to digest. So I use infographics, I send, uh, you know, like, a slide with something, trying to explain in something. So to your point, I think is visuals and communication and conversations. Now, again, I'm in a role where I'm not the main person in a day-to-day basis uh, to build those type of relationships. My role now is more about the information, communication, visualization, and lead the people that works in the department to do that. So I think it depends on the context, but to your question, my process is relationships, communication, and I'm a big bias person supporter of visuals. So having screens and um, infographics and sending a text, sending a slide is like when I do the, sometimes I've shared uh, in social media, this yes. type of workout, workout or this type of information. And when I do that, it's because myself, especially with infographics, you know, the workouts, it's okay. I want to know about beet juice. So I do the whole, okay, let's go again, like the sleep trackers, which are all the beet juice in the market. What's the calories, protein content, carbs content, like, and then I put it in a visual way for me or in a way that I think an athlete or a player would understand it. And then some, I share it. So that's my process. What am I looking for? What was the answer that I try? What's the question that I'm trying to answer? How do I put it in a way that is digestible and easy and quick? Like we are now with Instagram and Twitter and all these super fast uh, in type of information. Um, and then communicate, talk. That's the process. With your changing role and going to more of a leadership role, and it's something that's come a couple of times in the previous guests I've had very recently. How's that transition been for you? That you're not the person doing the visual, doing the visuals, and been very hands-on with the players. You're in that managerial leadership role, empowering these people to be able to do that. What's that transition been like? It's challenging, especially because I'm a very applied person, and I like to be on the field. But it's the same that I, when I was in the academia or teaching or doing research, I've always believed I can, I can do research and I can talk to the students if I'm not doing it. To me saying, okay, he, uh, high intensity interval training, the physiology is this, and then you have to go from this world to this, you know, explain all the physiology. If you never ever applied it with a player, because then you have the, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. how do you manage that, right? Yeah. Um, so it's the same for in the, in this situation. Is personally, I like to be involved because it's the way that I think I can have more impact. Uh, but at the same time, you have to support your people to do it. So what I'm trying to do now is yes, I'm in a leadership position, 
But at the same time, what I love now is sports science and analysis and technology and innovation and developing a culture. Uh, I love all that has to related with the mind. And so now I'm transitioning for a more like, how can I be a better leader and supporter and mentor um, while I'm still involved in the day-to-day um, things? Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, just one more thing on, on sports tech. Inertial sensors and the, I suppose, more emphasis put on the inertial sensors over, I mean, I know you're an indoor sport, but um, the global maybe GPS metrics. Just want to talk to a little bit about that and where you potentially see that going in that, I suppose, more granular data in basketball? Well, for me, it's key. Oh, I wish we could have... Um... I am using basketball because basketball is a sport where, again, I don't think 2D give us 2D position and time. So we are, you are losing all the impact of the sport in the body. So if you have uh, I am used, you can have um, segments, differentiation, asymmetries, um, axles, diesels, not coming from the 2D, but the 3D. Mm-hmm. Um, forces you know with the accelerometer gyroscope and magnetometer you could have way more information about what is happening in the body whether that is what is happening in the space but at the same time i always push and they know (laughs) technology companies that it's super hard for us to sell a wearable if it's hard big heavy uncomfortable so and it happens. Like you have a guy that happens. You have a guy that falls on the back, hits uh, the hip with the sensor, and he's like, I'm not wearing it anymore. You're done. Like there is super hard to ask that player again. Please, it's, it's still giving me good information. So uh, to your question, I think for any sport, we have to work with the technology companies to have better wearables. Because what you have in your body is going to give us way more interesting information from me. The association between upper body, lower body, right, left, uh, unilateral movements. Um, again, axles isn't applied to the um, body. So I'm a, I'm a truly believer that we should go in that direction. How much input would you have on a situation like that? You're working with a sports technology company and how much... I suppose do, do you, you obviously clearly just don't want a finished product. You're happy at sometimes to work with that company, but how much do you give until you go? Okay, now it needs to be right. So, how much I am uh, willing to work with that? Exactly. It's, mm, it's a exactly. really good question because the market is yes for certain technologies, nobody is good. Yeah. Like there is not the perfect product in mm-hmm. my opinion. Mm-hmm. So you compromise what it's giving me, what I need, as I said before. Um, If we go with one technology, I just try to get the most of them. The problem is that sometimes they get bigger or more important or they have more clients and they think it's done. But honestly, experience and time have put some of those companies in like, well, you are not the leader anymore. So you should just start listening to your clients. Um, I I love to work with them. Uh, I like to think that we are helping them um, and just develop that relationship. And 
for the good and for the bad, sometimes you you can change because there's nothing better, but sometimes you can. So I think my message for technology companies is listen to your clients and because at the end of the day, we're going to make the decisions. Um, and let's first, let's work together. But all, like another point is don't be afraid of changing. Uh, it's, it's a pain in the ass for us because it's time consuming and you have to build your database again and all that. Um, but again, what do you want the technology for and what are you willing to compromise? Superb. So bringing that to an end, that, that little uh, segment on sports tech, and then moving on to strength and power in team sports, and then maybe a bit of replication from the conditioning side, but your philosophy when it comes to strength and power, then we can have a little chat about what that means to basketball. Yes. Um, three days ago, uh, there has been published a book, and I explain everything, like all my philosophy in five pages. Okay. <laughs> in a chapter. Okay. What um, book is this, Lorena? Medicine and Science in, a, in Basketball. Basketball, not, basketball no. sports, medicine, and science. Okay, nice. <laughs> cool. I have it here as well. <laughs> <laughs> so anyone that hasn't read the book yet, do you want to give us a bit of an, a bit of an insight? Uh, yes, it's a book. Yeah. Everything is about basketball. It's okay. very based in injuries, uh, yep. injury prevention, return to play, um, specific, like there's a chapter for each type of injury in basketball. And one of the chapters, they ask us to do... Um, strength uh, training in basketball and again it's kind of the same I think you have to have a set of rules and processes and go from the, the chapter is actually called uh, strength in basketball considering basketball needs and player needs so that's my thought process what is basketball about and what's the individual that you have to work with um, when I was starting writing the book probably a year and a half, the book, the chapter, a year and a half ago, what I did is sat with a coach. And okay. I said, okay, I have to uh, write a book about strength. And I believe that you have to start with basketball. So guys, what is important for you in basketball from a strength movement perspective? And we had great conversations because it was about, well, we coaches split basketball in offense and defense so that's in offense we work in a certain ways and in defense we work in a different way so it was like i never thought about that for a strength program so which type of because for me before was about actions of movements running changing of direction jumping running to jumping um, changing of direction to jumping moving to contact so it was more about actions and movements in general considering those actions and movement for for basketball and now it's more like okay but what about the turning spinning uh, one well, layups so two feet jump one feet jump in which contact with an opponent contested shot not contested with the ball without the ball changing direction with the ball is is different than changing direction without the ball so to your point i think i would start the strength training framework talking to coaches well that's what I did so a bit of a paradigm shift starting with that again basketball actions and movements based on offense defense how we deconstruct the movements and I, we have been working 
this year, oh, that's a project that I really wanted to do, how you go from general movements to specific movements and all the progression. So for, uh, let's say, changing of direction right to right or right to left or left to right, how are the steps backwards? So uh, lunches with multi-plane, multi-directional lunches to double leg squat or single leg squat to leg extension, right? So from the movement to the um, mechanical movement and muscles implied to the muscle that let's make sure that the, the uh, quad is strong for the change of direction for the patella. So again, it's a bit of the construction and then putting it together again with a specificity um, for the basketball movements. And then the player is a vet, is a young player, uh, injury history, um, minutes play, uh, anthropometry, um, likes, like you can, you can know that, oh my gosh, single RDL is the best exercise in the world for hamstring injury prevention and that player hates it. So involve the player in the decision-making of the exercises to get the buying. Um, and be very, very, very efficient with the time. If you can do a, st a strength program in 20 minutes, don't do it in 30, at least in my context. Um, I also, my philosophy, I'm a great person in many, many things. So I love Olympic weightlifting and absolutely very functional, specific movements and everything that is in between. Because some players need something at a certain point so if you come to my program, you're not gonna be, you're not gonna see only weightlifting. You're not gonna see only very specific cable movements, but I hope all the in between it's accepted in the program. How going through that process that you've just gone through with talking to the coach, if you hadn't have done that and it maybe have gone down a route that you would have previously, do you think the out, how different was the outcome with the, the end goal of a program? Was it very different going through that new process of starting with the coach and working that way? Not because I've always believed in the specificity okay. and progressions, but again, it was very physical based. Okay, in basketball, you need to contact jumps, movements, changes of directions, but it was a step forward in basketball specificity so i don't think it would be completely different because my philosophy was has never been power per se like mm -hmm. how we improve maximal dynamic strength per se that's just a tool or a part of the process uh, but evolu evolving the specificity was always been my philosophy i just think is a step forward in how we select better exercises mm -hmm. would different times of the year change things in terms of what the coach wanted from these guys, therefore changing the, f the whole flow of what you end up with in terms of a program? Yeah, good question. Good question. I think in our sport, off-season is the perfect time to develop things. Uh, regular season is the perfect time to maintain things. And before the playoffs, if you are in a playoffs team, it's to uh, reach like the peaks. Um, it's, it could be seen as an individual sport where you have a long time to prepare things. It's not because, again, in season depends a lot if you're playing or not playing. But whatever the mid, so 
if you have players that are not playing a lot, you still can develop things. So off-season or developing or achieving moments of the season, you can do whatever the goal for the players is. Hypertrophy, max strength, speed, power, um, those type of things are... Off-season is a great time to do that. Or in-season with players that doesn't play a lot or young players, they play and they're going to have to do it anyways. (laughs) (laughs) Um, With more vets, more minutes play, guys, I think um, off-season is the same. It's the time to build. In-season, maintain injury prevention, uh, protection of your body, recovery, and those uh, those every week, 10 days of strength sessions, even if you're playing, like keep that consistently through the year. Um, and then moving towards the playoffs, speed, power, specificity, um, because what they do on the court anyways is going to be super expe- specific. So it's not that we need, in my sport, we don't need to work change of direction in the weight room that much because they're doing it all the time in the individual sessions, team sessions. Um, so in, in, in my sport, I think that's the way I would say it. Last question. Is there any other specific dose timings that you would use? I know you mentioned like max strength every 10 days-ish, like plyos, for example, is there other modalities that you would make sure you hit a certain certain amount of days, no matter if you're playing or not? It's interesting because plyometrics in basketball is a tricky one. During the season, um, so I think you have to keep in mind two things. You need to keep the players available and healthy because although, like that's the first goal. But at the same time, you can protect them too much because you still need to work. So health and performance go hand by hand. Then again, you have to see who you have in front of you because they do a lot of plyometrics in season, even if they don't don't play that much because we supplement the lack of game minutes with uh, conditioning and practice. So plyometrics in basketball in season, I think is a tricky one. Um, unless you have somebody very resilient and uh, that loves to do it and needs to do it. Uh, so during the season, I think from a strength perspective, it's more trying to maintain that maximal dynamic strength, re- remembering through like every seven or 10 days. It's very, very individual. I'm not saying this for everybody, but um, speed, power, core, balance, uh, every week. Um, and then something that I think is important for, for those that want to do it, um, upper body strength for the contact and feeling good, just feeling good. Like and feeling good for a player must, might mean curl biceps and dumbbell press because they feel good with that. And for some players, it's going to be barefoot, movement in three planes with a lot of matrix lunges, um, um, body weight exercises, and that's very individual. So whatever feel good means for that player. Mm-hmm. I like it. I think that's a good way to finish off. But w- w- you mentioned the book. Are you, mm-hmm. doing, are you doing another book as well? Are you involved in another Yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> Just add another one in there. I so where, yeah. where can people where can people get the book that you mentioned, and where can people get the book that you're going to mention, 
And where can people get in touch with you? The three, last three. Yes. So the book that I just mentioned, the editors are Springer. So if, I guess if they Google the title of the book, uh-huh. uh, you already can purchase it. Uh, it's new from this week. Um, that's the first one. The second one, I don't know how official publish that is. I think I've seen some some uh, Twitters about that in social media. Um, but yes, we have been working for more than two years in a book. And hopefully it's out soon, early next year. Uh, so I would say early next year, we, there's going to be a book that a friend of mine and I, Duncan French, we have put yeah. a lot of work on it. Yep. Uh, so I, we hope that people likes it. It's going to be a, about sports science. That's the other one. Um, yep, those are the two books. Perfect. Perfect. And where can people get in touch with you? Talk about anything that we've just discussed, research, basketball, whatever it may be. Where's the best place? Yeah, um, my only social media thing that I use is Twitter. So through Twitter, they, like I'm not Instagram or other platforms. Uh, I think Twitter is the best way to reach to me. And from there, I'm happy to share my email and be in contact with people, as you know, and some of the people that knows me, I'm, I'd like to be in contact with them time to time. And so I think Twitter is the easiest way to, to connect with me. Do you know your Twitter handle? Um, the name? Yes. Okay. It's Lorena Torres 7 Okay. I asked that to everyone and everyone's like, oh, no, I don't know. It. But yeah, good call. Good call. Yeah. Lorena Torres 7 Perfect. Well, thank you very much, Lorena, for, for coming on for a second time. Really do appreciate you uh, giving a bit of time in your day. I know it's, it's, it's busy and manic everywhere, but especially over there. So thank you very much. It's my pleasure. I always enjoy talking to you. Thanks, Lorena. Speak soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to episode 318 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. I hope you enjoy the chat with Lorena. So big thanks to Lorena for coming on, as I've said a couple of times in this episode, but really appreciate her willingness to come on and openness when she did come on the podcast uh, and chatting around high-intensity interval training, sports tech, strength and power training in basketball. So also big thanks to Hawking Dynamics, I Measure You, Athlete Monitoring, Omega Wave and Output Sports for sponsoring this episode today. I know I say it every week, but this episode and this podcast could not run in its current form without these guys. So I always, always appreciate their support and their, their guidance on uh, on keeping this keeping this podcast going. So thank you for tuning in again, episode 318, and I will chat to you next week. <laughs>